All right. Um, most of you got a scrap piece of paper. If you didn't and want one, I'll have uh, Jason give it to you here in just a second. It's just there's writing on one side, um, but uh, it's going to be part. It's going to be an exercise. A number of you, when I when you saw me handing them out, I saw trepidation on your face, and that really concerns me uh, that you would have that reaction. Um, but it's just an exercise for us tonight. Uh, Bruce's outline is really really good. Uh, and he has uh, a handful of questions regarding Lesson 3, actually a half a dozen questions. And I really liked question number two. I like them all, but question number two. And if you're not looking at it, that's fine. It's a very simple question that I want you to answer in writing uh, oh, as we talk. So it's okay to be writing uh, as we continue to discuss the 23rd Psalm. But it is, what is the most important message in this psalm to you? So uh, just on that scrap piece of paper, and Jason, if you don't mind to kind of pass these around, I got probably half the congregation. If you don't want to write it, you don't have to. I'm not going to collect these and read them like I did in our second Samuel class. I may ask for a volunteer or two uh, toward the end of the class to share your answer, but sometimes writing it out uh, on a piece of paper is more beneficial than just thinking it in your head. So the question is, is what is the most important message in Psalm 23 for you? And we've got 100 people or so, give or take, maybe 80. There's going to be 80 to 100 different answers, and that's okay. Because uh, the Psalms uh, are used to provide us with comfort and teaching. And so often, especially if I'm studying with someone who's had a maybe a bad day or a bad week or a rough go of things, uh, we'll go to a psalm and just spend 30 minutes looking at one of the psalms. The other thing is Bruce very kindly uh, and uh, shared with me his notes for tonight. So I'm going to lean almost 80% on Bruce. So just pretend that I'm better looking and funnier and, that would, and maybe just a little bit older uh, and that I'm Bruce because uh, I'm actually reading from a lot of his notes, and I'll interject with some of my thoughts as well. One of the thoughts that I had when I, when I talked with, with Bruce Sunday, and he said, I'm concerned about who's going to teach, and I said, well, I'd be concerned too. Um, but one of my immediate thoughts was, knowing that the topic was the 23rd Psalm, reminded me of a story, and that I may have shared this before, but it's supposedly it's a true story uh, of an English party a uh, hundred or fifty years ago, in the late 1800s, when everyone at a gathering was asked to reference a passage in the Bible and say why was it important to you, similar to the assignment that you have to write out why Psalm 23 matters to you on a scrap piece of paper. And one person said John 3:16. One person uh, made reference to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, and then it got to one man. And he said the 23rd Psalm, and he quoted the 23rd Psalm, and everyone just kind of said, that's, that's, that's great, that's nice, I'm glad it means something to you. Went around to the next person, that person said some passage about uh, Genesis 22 uh, with uh, Abraham and Isaac and other various passages that have profound meanings to people. And then it got to this lady, and she said, well, I'd like to quote the Psalm 23 as well. And she started by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and then going through all six verses. 
And everyone was in tears at the conclusion of her quoting Psalm 23. And the man who earlier in the evening had said Psalm 23 and said it meant something to me kind of was puzzled and said, why the reaction to her uh, and not to me? And someone said, I think it's because you knew the psalm, but she knew the shepherd. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, we're not the ones to judge who knows the psalm and who knows the shepherd. But something about the way that woman quoted it with tears in her eyes because it meant so much to her, it really had a profound impact on her. So it is one of the most quoted passages in all of Scripture. We, we understand that. We're going to read it here. You don't have to memorize it, though many of you have memorized it. Uh, we sing a number of songs about it. Uh, it is often, and, I'm, and again, I'm leaning very heavily on Bruce's thoughts tonight, one of the first memory verses of those who are even young, quoted by the aged and used often on what occasion do we see the Psalm, the 23rd Psalm used most often? What occasion is that kind of brought out? It's brought out in a eulogy, in a funeral, in a memorial service of some sort to give comfort to the grieving, uh, to the friends and the family. But this is one of the points that Bruce made to me in a very brief conversation that we had Sunday evening. And he says, the thing that I want people to walk away with the most is that this is a psalm that really, it's not about death, but it's about life. And I thought, that's, that's neat. And I wish that Bruce was here to be able to share that um, with you in his own words. But it's about the living. Daily activities such as eating or drinking and seeking security are put in a God-centered perspective. And it shows that each of us have a need for a shepherd, for God's guidance, as well as a close relationship with him. It is a psalm of joy, a psalm of trust, and a psalm of confidence. It declares the happiness or the blessedness of the man whom God protects and provides his care for. It's a psalm of complete trust with no pleas made. And as familiar as it is, there is so much more to its message than is generally assumed. So what I want to do is I want us to pretend like we've never read it before and let's read the 23rd Psalm together. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, which will have some slightly different variations from uh, maybe the version that you have memorized or the version that you're reading from. But it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness... And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to start out with your, if you have brief comments, just say it loudly so that I can hear it and I'll repeat it. If it's something a little bit more lengthy, Jason will get you a microphone. But what jumps out to you, pretending that you're reading this psalm for the first time, without answering the question on the piece of paper, 
So I don't want you to answer that question yet, and we'll get to that later. But what strikes you from the 23rd Psalm? So the very first word, the very first two words, very appreciative. And I think that's a great way of putting it that Leanne kind of talked about. This author appreciates, is dependent on the Lord. There is a relationship uh, with Miss Janita here. There's a re- there you go. He's not someone else's shepherd. He's my shepherd. And that's not to say that he's not someone else's shepherd as well. But this is a very personal psalm. Very good points from Leanne and, and, um, and Janita. Other thoughts? Yes, Brother Allen. Microphone's on the way. I think just the beginning, it, it's formal to the extent of seeming disrespectful. This, this is God who in other times we say he sits in the heavens and laughs mm. and he... The earth is his in the fullness, and who can ascend his hill? And now we're saying he's a shepherd. Like this is an uncommon way to refer to God, and this is going to, we're, we're preparing to talk about him in ways probably other cultures would never dream to mm-hmm. describe the deities they worship. But we're going to focus on things about him that are very unique to him. This is a really unique approach to consider God in this way. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Brother, uh, let's go John, uh, then David, then Carrie. Just thinking about the, the confidence he shows in verse 1, I shall not want. Uh, there's no hint of any doubt whatsoever in his statement. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Mm-hmm. To, to me, it, it may be possibly the greatest statement of faith in all the Bible. At least it's, it'd be way up there. Yeah. And it's, I've always been interesting to me that David wrote the 37th Psalm as well. In verse 25, David said, I was young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Mm-hmm. That's a statement of fact. 23rd Psalm, verse 1 is faith. 37th Psalm, verse 25 is fact. And so he's saying, see, it's just like I told you back in the 23rd Psalm. Mm-hmm. Very good. That was Psalm 37, verse 25, by the way, that John referenced. Brother David. It, just those first five words, you could emphasize three of those. You could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. And we can allow a lot of things to, to shepherd us and guide us maybe down the wrong path. But he says, the Lord is my mm-hmm. shepherd. Then, as Janita said, the Lord is my shepherd. So it's a bold statement mm-hmm. of faith, this whole psalm, in the providence and the protection of the Lord. And then the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. So he is the one that, that provides all of this protection yeah. and this comfort. Very good. Carrie. Uh, Jason? Yeah, the idea of faith, you cannot talk about Psalm 23 without talking about faith. It's impossible because the two are so closely linked together. Brother Kerry. Um, The the thought that I had. You're on. Okay. 
Um, connecting it back to, uh, I guess, Bruce's comment at the very beginning that you said that this is really a psalm about life, mm -hmm. not death. When you read through it, you can pick up the images of the different phases of life. And what I mean by that is Jesus is is our shepherd. He's guiding us through times of prosperity, the green pastures, through times of stillness, the quiet waters, when life may be not moving in a thousand different Mm -hmm. direction but the quiet times of mm -hmm. life when there are pressing uh, concerns and people against you he is guiding you and guarding you protecting you with his rod and staff he's also um, you know he's providing for your needs preparing the table before me in the presence of my enemies and he's continually blessing us mm -hmm. that's the image of the oil uh, on on the head the, the blessing. So regardless of the phase of life, regardless of what you're going through, whether it be good or bad, Jesus or our God is there. Excellent. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you. All right. Um, I'm going to go back to Bruce's comments here, and then we'll, we'll keep jumping back and forth here, opening it up for comments. Um, he uses the word tranquility. Not particularly the tranquil psalm many seem to see, but it does tell what the Lord provides. Speaks of the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean, by the way? That's, so I'm going back and forth between Bruce and my, my thoughts. Got the triangles. Uh, Brother Mitch, all the way up, up front here. For, for David, that means literal death because mm -hmm. he was pursued by enemies on every side and hunted for a, a vast majority of his life. Right. And we talked about that in great detail in our study of 2 Samuel in the first part of 1 Kings, did we not? All the different threats against him and the difficulties that he faced. Absolutely. Uh, we have noted previously in, our, in a couple of uh, sessions prior to this that while not generally classed among books of prophecy, nevertheless often psalms are prophetic in, its, in their function. What does Bruce mean by that? I agree with him. Let me. Uh, nevertheless, Psalm 23 and other psalms are prophetic in their function. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So what Carrie said, for those of you who didn't hear the first part of it, is that all the different references, numerous times where. Uh, New Testament writers or Jesus himself will go back and say, in the Psalms it said A, B, C. Or in the Psalms it said exhibit A, B, C, whatever the case may be. 23rd Psalm is an excellent example of this, pointing forward to Jesus, the ultimate image of the divine shepherd. While the Psalm is called a Psalm of David and certainly could have been written by him about any number of experiences, Mitch kind of talked about that, its authorship is not absolutely certain the title could conceivably mean a psalm about david or for david or the davidic monarchy and all that it entails i thought that was kind of an interesting perspective as well not something that's worth probably arguing about too much but just just, just a thought to consider on the other hand david was as a boy a simple shepherd and a man a shepherd king and in many ways he served as the type of the shepherd messiah to come all that said opinions are going to vary and it's best not to be dogmatic about the human authorship, which is exactly what he just, what I just, what I said when he said it. Those who do conclude that David was the author, 
of the psalm express a wide range of opinions about when it was written during his life. Uh, Mitch kind of highlighted some of those uh, circumstances in which David found himself. Some believe he wrote it while he was young, while out there in the hills. Others figured that he wrote it as an older person. Uh, Others guessed that it might have been during a challenging episode, such as when he faced the giant Goliath. Each of you is inconclusive, even as we measure the merits. Any thoughts on what Bruce has said there? And I, I, I want to let Bruce answer for himself, but we can entertain the, the good observations he's making. All right. Um, he, Bruce wanted us to spend some time talking about the historical side of things, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, the early Israelites were a semi-nomadic people. Patriarchs had great mission, uh, shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law in Midian. Remember that back in early in the book of Exodus? David emerged in history as a shepherd boy to become the shepherd king, a man after God's own heart. And while the psalm usually is read with the intent of making a very personal and individual application, no problem with that. That's the, that's the thrust of uh, the assignment, the exercise you have there. It may also be considered a reflection on Israel's historical experience as God shepherded them through the Sinai wilderness, providing for their every need and ultimately bringing them to the possession of the land of Canaan. I thought that was kind of an interesting perspective, uh, the idea that um, we look at this very personal at a funeral uh, when I'm going through a difficulty, when I'm thinking about life and all the challenges that are associated with it or all the different times, uh, seasons of life that uh, Carrie kind of talked about. But also maybe it's kind of a, a historical painting of what had happened in the previous 500 to 1,000 years where God shepherded his people under the leadership of Moses and Joshua and, and others as well. If part of the psalm was intended as a historical reflection on the past, to look back to the past, it is not unique. Often in the scripture, faith and perseverance are urged for present and future by a backwards look to God's workings and provision during the Exodus period God's past actions form the basis of confidence in his future actions. I'm going to read that last statement one time. I want you to tell me what, what that means, because I agree fully. God's past actions form the basis of confidence in future actions. What does that mean? I yeah, mean, Brother Mitch. That, that's why you see uh, with the children of Israel, God refers to himself as I am the God of Abraham, mm-hmm. Isaac, and Jacob. What Absolutely. I refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, except for you're referencing all those past actions. Very good. Absolutely. He's going back to the past saying, this is what I've done in the past, what I'm going to do in the future, right? Uh, someone else? They would have been very familiar with um, people who attended sheep. You can even see it in Israel today. Mm-hmm. There are many, many, many people who attend sheep daily. Very and good. So that this would be something historically they would be familiar with. This would be something Absolutely. in their daily life they would be familiar with. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, that is very important because that means he leads mm-hmm. the sheep. He leads him through this. Very good. And they would understand that because they would have flocks of sheep. And it is true, sheep are not that bright. <laughs> but... Um, but their wool is very valuable, so they wouldn't want to lose a sheep. 
Right. So they would very be true. very, 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 very familiar with it. Very true. Very good. Um, I was going to ask a question. We're going to come back to uh, the shepherd concept here in just a second. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say. But uh, let, me, let me go a little bit further. There's two more paragraphs for this section here that, that I really thought were good. Um, it would be a major omission to fail to recall that God himself is often referred to or either directly or indirectly as the shepherd of Israel. And he lists about seven or eight different passages going from the Psalms to Ezekiel to Isaiah to Micah to make reference to that point. Uh, so the ultimate shepherd, or to borrow from what writer talks about the, what New Testament writer talks about the chief shepherd? Peter, right? Peter says that the idea, First uh, Peter 5, that shepherds in local churches will give an answer for the way that they've conducted themselves and the way that they have led. So, you know, you think about this in terms of local shepherds, uh, shepherds in a local congregation. Think about the relationship that God has had with his people historically. Think about the relationship that God had with David privately. Think about the relationship that God has with each of us as being our shepherd. All these different angles to see this beautiful picture that the author here is providing for us. I know the question I was going to ask. Uh, we make reference to this, but just so that we all are in agreement, roughly how many years old is the 23rd Psalm? How are, are most of the Psalms, give or take? I think I heard someone say 3,000. Generally speaking, uh, we look at the Davidic kingdom at being somewhere around 1,000 to 950, 930, somewhere in that ballpark. So just round it out to 3,000. And um, no one in our lifetime uh, will exceed that. goes back to my sermon a few weeks ago. Someone came up to me and said, I figured out that the two things you wanted me to get from the sermon was that we're all going to die and I'm a great big nobody. That's what they took away from my sermon. Uh, the very first allusions to God as a shepherd are found in what book? When in doubt, guess the first book of the Bible, right? Go back really quickly here to Genesis 48. Genesis 48, and let's look at uh, just a real quick passage here. The word shepherd is not used in 48.15. However, I, I, I like the, the reference point. He blessed Joseph. This is Jacob near the end of his life, near the end of the book of Genesis. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. So what does a, a shepherd do? It, he uh, leads the sheep to find greener pasture, place where they can find sustenance and assistance for themselves. Similarly, just to page over in chapter 49, verse 24, uh, you see uh, a little bit of a reference there where it says, this is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So the, the idea of the shepherd mentality is not something that was introduced only 3,000 years ago. But kind of like Leanne pointed out, this is such an ancient practice in this culture, in this geographic sphere, that uh, this goes back thousands of years 
even before our own time. Uh, a number of other psalmists make reference to God's people as being sheep, 74, 79, 95, 100. If anybody wants notes, uh, you have to pay Bruce the royalties, but I'll give them to you for free tonight. Uh, thus, it is important to absorb the concept of being sheep, metaphorically, as to envision God in the role of shepherd. So we'll talk about the shepherd here. Let's talk for a minute a little bit more about what Leanne said about sheep. What do we know about sheep? We know that they are not always the brightest historically or nowadays. What else makes it, what else is it that God says, these are like, you, you guys are like sheep, makes sense to us? A herd. Yeah, we need each other, don't we? A sheep by itself is a sheep that's in danger. Always running away, getting in trouble. Wandering, okay. Easily lost. Okay, they listen to the master that, with whom they have this relationship and trust. So there's lots of different, and we can make a list of probably 20 things about sheep, even while most of us have, Anybody ever been a shepherd? I, I was going to say nobody's been a shepherd, but I mean, maybe someone has been a shepherd. Anybody ever kept sheep? I mean, I'm not talking about like a, oh, that's right. That's right. Sam is the sheep man. I forgot about Sam. So uh, resident expert is going to be Sam Zonka tonight for sheep behavior and issues. Uh, but you've never kept hundreds of them while wearing a gown and, and holding a rod, right? No. Only in my dreams. <laughs> okay. All right. Disturbing dreams. <laughs> Sigmund Freud would have a heyday. All right. Okay, let's talk. Let's shift to the shepherd. What is it about a shepherd that fits um, Jesus so perfectly, our, our father so perfectly? A leader? The head? He goes after them when they're lost or scattered. Okay, good. Compassion, humility. And, I'm sorry, go ahead, Linda. Protector, a protector. Uh, Charmin may have something a little bit more. Charmin talked about the complete dependence of a sheep on its master. And you think about then, you know, this is not so much a class um, about shepherds in a local church, but you think about some of the things that, that Gerald and John and Phil have to consider. They have to think about us that same way as well. But sometimes we're not as smart as we should be, and we can be a little bit stubborn, and sometimes they have to coax us into acting a certain way or to conducting our service a certain way. Let me read you a couple of paragraphs about the shepherd. Then we're going to get back to the psalm itself. Shepherd of the Middle East guided and provided for his sheep. There's two verbs that we used. He would lead the sheep. There's a third one uh, to find green pastures in an otherwise rocky and barren landscape. He and the animals had to traverse all the different regions to find grass and life reviving water. So he had to find a safe path. So it's one thing to think about a shepherd leading a sheep when everything is green and everything is going well. It's another thing when you're in an, a hostile environment. Uh, and we live in a hostile environment wherein Satan throws up crags and uh, 
uh, all kinds of different things for us to have to go through. Shepherd's job went beyond guidance and provision. He also had to be the comforter, the protector in dark, dangerous, and gloomy valleys where wild animals or robbers might attack. So it's not just what animals may do, wolves, for example, but robbers might attack because they are valuable. Leanne kind of talked about that a few minutes ago. He carefully led the flock, armed with his rod and staff, to ward off enemies and rescue sheep that wandered or fell into places of danger. Uh, it reminds me of a video, speaking of the, the smartness of sheep, a video that some of you have seen on social media of, uh, of a sheep that fell into a crack. And the, uh, the man, the shepherd or whatever, goes over and picks up the sheep and pulls it out, sets the sheep up, says, Phew, it's fine. The sheep just immediately runs, falls back in the crack again. <laughs> At least we as humans never act that way with our God, right? But we do. We, we go right back to the same behavior that gets us in, in the problem because we're not. Sometimes it's a matter of not being smart. Sometimes it's a matter of just being stubborn and of just doing what we want to do and of our, of our own willful behavior. Uh, last thing here, um, this before we get to the structure of the psalm. Uh, the image of a shepherd is not always to be perceived as a gentle pastoral one. Sometimes it was a despised occupation. The shepherd often had to be rough and tough to defend the sheep. All right. Anything else on sheep? Anything else on shepherds? Uh, Phil and uh, who, who wants to start? Or Debbie? Phil goes first. Microphone's on the way. And then we're going to get to the structure of the psalm and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Brother Phil. So uh, a sheep is a piece of property. Mm-hmm. So the, the uh, owner of the sheep has made a purchase to get that sheep. And so he, um, and in, it really fits with the analogy of, of Christ mm-hmm. purchased us as his sheep. Excellent. And, he, then he, and he's going to look after us as a piece of property. And that sounds a little cold, but I don't mean it that quite that way. But, it, but it, it's something that he, mm-hmm. he's not going to just... Oh, well, that one's gone. There's, there's plenty more. Yeah, can, absolutely. Yeah. Very good. That's because he loves us. And that's because he loves us. A shepherd has to have a love for the sheep. Yeah. And whether it's an eldership as a shepherd or it's Christ as our loving shepherd, there's a love that has, that has to permeate the whole situation or else it won't work. Yeah. Good. All right, let's talk a little bit about, in our final uh, 12 minutes here, the structure of the psalm and the, the text itself. Um, and Bruce goes through uh, just an excellent way of, well, it's just great. So, no complete consensus regarding the structure, but two main views are held. I thought that was kind of interesting. I never thought about, usually you think about the 23rd psalm, you think about 23rd psalm. But one is that the entire psalm speaks of God's shepherd's role. Some have divided the psalm into two parts, or, or to uh, the, first, uh, the, the first two-thirds and the final third. So the first four verses, section one, the last two verses, section two. So sometimes reading it that way can help you organize your thoughts a little bit differently or think about the text a little bit differently. Um, where section one is God's shepherd role. Section two is God's role as a host of his temple or his dwelling among men. Uh, 
Let me, let me skip down to, uh, yes, that God's shepherd role in, in section one, whereas God's role as a host of his temple and dwelling among his people in section two, the last two verses. Um, this uh, was interesting, and I, I'm going to ask Bruce in all seriousness if he doesn't mind. I don't think he will, me sharing this because there's, we're going to run out of time. There are about six or seven different, actually, there are seven different variations of God's name as found in the Hebrew, and I am not going to try to pronounce them. Bruce will do a better job of that. But the whole idea of the Lord is the shepherd, Lord is peace, Lord is health, righteousness, companion, victory, and provision. I know I'm going fast because I'm up against the clock now. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd. Let's talk about the phrases here. Uh, We talked about that. It is a definitive. It is personal. It is a relationship. Uh, It is that he commands and we listen and we obey. It's that simple. But yet we complicate. Lord's my shepherd. Okay, I'll do whatever he says. I want want him to whatever he wants me to do. But that's not what we do sometimes. I shall not want. This is really the central, a central part of the psalm. With the Lord as shepherd, the sheep lack what? Absolutely nothing. Right. And the apostle wrote that in Philippians four, verse nineteen. Anything else on I shall not want? Because that's the. That's, that's a very definitive, bold statement. Lord's my shepherd. I got that. I'm not going to want anything. Anything else on that? He provides us with all that we need. Very good. All right. Uh, let's go down to verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Um, Sam, are you ready for this? Bruce says there's an interesting fact about sheep. They will not lie down when they are hungry. But when they have eaten and are full, then they will lie down in the grass. Have you seen that with your sheep? Okay. All right. So Bruce knows what he's talking about here. Not that I didn't believe him. That is interesting. The idea of contentment. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, I think. We should not be restful and at ease unless we are filled spiritually with food. Um, we should be. We should feel restless. If you know those kind of things. If you've been sick for a couple of weeks, or you had COVID, or maybe you had a business trip, or whatever, and you didn't get to go to services, or you didn't get to attend Bible study as regularly as you wanted, and all that kind of stuff. I just don't feel right. I feel restless. Because I didn't get to be with my people. I didn't get to worship my God with them. I didn't get to study together with them. Something is off. And all of us have felt that when we've been sick, especially if it's been a couple of weeks or something like that. Uh, He leads me beside still waters. What does that impart to us there in verse 2, part B? Calm. Uh, Sheep will not drink from rushing, roaring streams. Shepherds often had to dam the mountain streams to provide still water for their sheep. Um, Interesting thought as well. He restores my soul. If he restores my soul, what does that entail? Healing. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. The soul was in trouble in the first place. For, for For there to be restoration, there has to be some sort of decay. And our souls decay. We need restoration. Uh, I'm going very fast here. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Um, what does it mean that sheep are led? Okay, they don't know where they're going. They need guidance. We've used that word a couple of different times. One of the points that Bruce made is that sheep are led, not driven. So the shepherd has to go where? He has to go in the front, right? And that puts himself in danger, right? He, something, a robber could come out and get him. A uh, wild animal, a bear, whatever could come out and get him. Uh, our shepherds put themselves in harm's way for us. Jesus put himself in harm's way for us. David put himself in harm's way for his physical sheep. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, there were a lot of literal valleys that David would have likely encountered that would have, again, as, as Bruce pointed out earlier in the study, would have been prone to uh, robbers and others who would thieve, uh, and that would be a very dangerous thing. The more serious thing is the fact that we spiritually walk sometimes through valleys where we feel like we are alone, where we never are, but we feel that way, and we are then more susceptible to the attacks that come from Satan. What about the rod and staff? Let's talk about that for 30 seconds or so. Okay. Yeah, uh, Bruce actually made the point of being a, uh, a tool of defense or guidance, a weapon of power, and a symbol of authority. Um, the crook in the rod uh, is believed to have been used to rescue sheep from those crevices or those pits or whatever, where they fall into, and you can kind of reach around and grab them and steady them somehow. Uh, what about the table before me in the presence of my enemies? Uh, he has about three paragraphs on that. We'll spend 10 seconds on it. But um, what about the table? Anybody come across something in your own studies or footnotes? Okay. I like the word supply that Leanne used. Most people seem to suggest here this is the idea of God providing, setting a table, putting out a banquet, saying, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of. He says, you, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even though there are enemies, you don't take those enemies away, but you protect me and provide for me. Um, and then let's talk for just a second or so about surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What about those last two statements? Very good. If we're faithful, God protects us. And that's one of the key points that he's making here. Um, let me go to the very last two paragraphs of what he said here, and then I want to spend uh, 90 seconds on your little handout here. And that is the 23rd Psalm is extremely relevant today. While American ideals and mythology accentuate independence and self-sufficiency, the truth of Jeremiah 10 is, O Lord, I know the way man is not in himself, not that he should direct his own footsteps. The psalm, while written long before Jesus, a thousand years, give or take, seems to foretell of our need for, indeed, a good or a great shepherd. Um, what does the 23rd Psalm mean to you? What is the most important message in the 23rd Psalm on your little piece of paper? Are there uh, two volunteers that would be willing to share their thoughts or one volunteer? 
Oh, yes, um, Sharman. Microphone's on the way. Thank you, Sharman, for being willing to do that. We'll, we'll just do one volunteer. Thank you, Sharman. God is all I need. God is all I need. And what a wonderful way to end this study. I hope it's been a good study. I will ask Bruce uh, if, if I can share this, his, his thoughts. You can, you can hear Bruce talking, and we wish him the best. But more importantly than that, we're thankful for the shepherd who loves us and provides for us. All right, we'll stop there tonight.